Hey, Jay. Hey, Tyler. How are you today? I am lovely. Quick question. We've got a guest that's coming later, but he's he's not here just yet. He's right. Gonna be a little he's late. in wardrobe. Uh, while we're waiting, yeah, he's get he's in makeup. <laughs> well, he's getting mic'd up. Uh, here's my quick question for you. Yes. You, so you have to pick one Tom Hanks role mm-hmm. that you have to live. Ooh. If you if you had to be one Tom Hanks role, what would it be? I have an answer. I'm mentally checking the Rolodex to make sure there's not a better answer. Yeah, I think that that's most of them. There's a uh, there's a and, and I could give you even a couple if you if you have to choose between it because I also had an immediate one, but then I started thinking of all these other Tom Hanks roles. Yeah, um, that were also very interesting. So what what was your initial one? And then if I, you have one that comes back in, I almost uh, obvious perils to this choice noted. I think I'd go Forrest Gump. Because the oh, dude, the yeah, yeah. dude yeah. lived a life. Uh, he did, and was you know blissfully unaware of most of it. And if he went somewhere, he was running. Yes, yes. My force gun. That's a great movie, by the way. Oh, so it's, it's so good. It's better than it should be, and it it's better than you remember. Yes, I would say that too. Because most of us were like, yeah, force gun. I really liked that one as a kid, but I don't know if that's gonna. Be. It's better. It's it holds up in a way that it really shouldn't. It n- never should have worked in the in the first place. Yeah, uh, it's really that's a great movie. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything that takes it. He did one a little while back that I can't remember the name of. It was essentially the white guy's how Stella got her groove back, um, where oh, yeah. he was uh, Larry Crown. Yes, where yeah. he got the moped and went back to college and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and Julia Roberts is in it. That was an interesting movie. I don't know that it I want to go through movie. all the heartbreak of it, but yeah. Um, my. Tom Hanks, I think might be a league of their own. Oh, I like the air. Yes, I don't like having bad knees, but I like Tom Hanks. A fun character in that. He's a drunk. <laughs> yeah, but he. I like when by the time he kind of comes around to it, I think that would be fun managing uh, a women's baseball league in the 1940s. I like the era. I like kind of. I like the relationship he has with the players. Eventually, like um, that's a that's a pretty great character. Speaking overall. of that cast has no business working together. Madonna, yeah. Rosie O'Donnell, Gina Davis. Gina Davis. <laughs> like, what's happening in that film? I don't yeah. know. But it, is, it does. A, it, oh, it's a great it's movie. It's okay. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great movie. Uh, I mean, my standard, too, is I love the Burbs. I would love to live in that movie. Still not um, seen that. Oh, it's it's great. I mean, I cautiously recommend it because now everybody I know who's watched it would be like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love. I it. still favorite. haven't seen uh, "Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood." I need to get on that. That was really good. I'm starring also in that starring Tyler Domsky. Starring yeah. Tyler Domsky, also featuring Tom Hanks <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the guy from the Americans. Yeah. Uh, another another good one. Big. That'd be a fun one. Big is fun. Uh, he he acts the junk out of Castaway. I don't really oh, want to go through that experience. I do, yeah, I wouldn't want to go through that. But that's I I love Castaway. That is a great movie. Um, Saving Private oh. Ryan would not want to experience that, but that's he's wonderful in that movie. Yeah, um, Apollo thirteen. Oh, Apollo thirteen. Oh. I might want to do Apollo thirteen, knowing that you're going to get through it. I was going to say, if I know the ending, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> yep. Apollo thirteen is fine, but that's oh, he that's a great movie too. Yeah, I mean, I keep going back to like Sleepless in Seattle. It's just a fun movie. Yep. Like I don't know necessarily I want to live in that movie, but like it's just a one I, of I, Sarah's I, favorite I, movies is uh, You've Got Mail. Yeah, I like to call that Sleepless in Seattle. Revisited. Part two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised neither of us went with Toy Story. That was my first thought was Toy Story huh. because I would love to be a toy. That would love to be Woody in that in that world. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Not what Toy Story is, 4, though. I, uh, yeah, uh, my boys are of age that were watching some of those movies like on repeat. Woody's personality is the most anti-Hanks personality. Yes, if you it, really well, dive especially into the it. The first one, the first yeah. one is rough. He's a jerk. He, he is. He is a jerk, and everybody's a jerk. Yeah, except for Buzz Lightyear. They they straight up. He he is really really mean and selfish, and then all the other toys try to kill Woody. Yeah, several times, <laughs> and. and it's 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 a lot more hateful than the rest of the movies. That's why I always prefer Toy Story two. I yes, think that's the best of those movies. Although Toy Story three is pretty great. Three made me cry, and and, yeah. and, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I yeah, still haven't I seen four yet. Four is definitely worth seeing. Uh, and your God kids bless love it. Disney Plus, man. I'll, I'll yeah, hop right man. on that. Yeah, Toy Story two made me cry. Every movie since I've had kids makes me cry. Oh yeah, without without uh, fail. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that those are those are good ones. I'm sure that there's a Hanks movie that I will remember later that I wish I would have picked. Yeah. He's... But I, think I mean, that's it. It, this is stating I mean, the obvious to a degree of, like, saying the sky is blue. But he is in so many things, mm-hmm. and he is great in all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't think of a movie where he just flat-out bombs. Yeah, he's never bad. Even when he's in bad movies, he's the best part of it. Like Lady Killers yeah. is the worst Coen Brothers movie. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't work on so many levels. It's really sad that it doesn't work. But he's great in that movie. Yeah. Like his character, he's like this villainous southern. <laughs> he's like evil evil Forrest Gump in that movie. And he's so good. And the movie is just not good. It's not terrible. But it just doesn't work. And it's a very big disappointment because I want him to make more Chrome Brothers movies, but that one just didn't work. Yeah. Uh, but he's really good at it. Gotta love Hanks. I think I we're th- probably. I think I hear. So. I, I think I hear rustling in the green room. So I think we're yeah. about yeah. ready. So to... before he gets out, oh, he's about to come out. Yeah. Oh. Hello, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we did. Oh, he brought he brought some tin drums with him. <laughs> okay, so I'm Tyler. I'm Jay. Uh, I'm Carl. And this is Ruffling the the Pastor. So the Reverend Dr. Carl J. Anderson is back for Jayhawker, right? Isn't that your middle name? <laughs> Carl has a, had a great idea that I will uh, uh, I want him to talk about because I think this is this is even as a pastor I'm curious about this, uh, and I would imagine that almost everybody um, that I meet when I tell them I'm a pastor I think this is their immediate question in their head that they don't know how to ask and so they don't. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I've been listening to you all, long time listener. Uh, other than the one episode that I've been a part of, I guess maybe two now. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard you talk about lots of things. Um, 
But one of the things that has gotten me curious about you all in general, uh, and Jay, I thought in particular about you with regard to this in the transition uh, vocationally for you from uh, only doing student ministries uh, <laughs> that's a, to that's ha- funny. <laughs> to having to do uh, all of uh, all the big church stuff. Becoming a real pastor. I, have to say in the church. Yes. I think it's a fascinating question. Um, what do pastors do the other 167 hours of the week? Yeah. Uh, because there are a handful of folks that think that all pastors do is preach on a Sunday morning uh, and um, wondering what the rest of the week looks like. Um, I also thought it'd be entertaining. Um, I, I kind of secretly hope, and if I drop it in here, maybe it'll be the title, but I like the idea of how the sausage gets made. Uh, and I want to know how you all come about uh, selecting your sermon topics hmm. and then going about prepping. Uh, because full disclosure, I didn't know anything about that uh, until I was in my second job. And I grew up in a church. I gave sermons at a church, but I didn't know how they taught giving sermons. Uh, so I just was was curious to explore a little bit about that process for you all as well. Um, so Jay, and part of this I thought could be educational and helpful for you as you yeah. uh, think about what uh, you know what the the arduous task of moving from six different youth talks a week on four different topics to seven different crowds to one audience <laughs> at one time. You yeah. know, that's a really big chore and task to uh, to step up into doing less. Can we do, I think this would be a helpful time, and Carl included, could we give uh, 30 seconds each to our pedigree in terms of, like, what are, how long <laughs> we've worked for churches and, and in what capacity? So, like, how long you've been employed by churches? So, I'll go, I'll go real, real quick first. So, um, I... Was I've been I did youth ministry for ten years, mm-hmm. uh, paid youth ministry for ten years. I volunteered in college, um, and in the course of that, so I started in seminary and then had two calls where I was an associate pastor for youth. So four years at, at one in North Carolina and four years at one in Pittsburgh, and then for the last four years I have been a head of staff solo pastor, um, is a better way to say it, at a small a smaller church, uh, a church of about 150 members. Um, no, about just under 200 members um, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which so uh, only ordained person on staff, very different kind of situation. I don't like the word pedigree, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> breeding. Let's <laughs> <Yeah>. say breeding. <laughs> uh, I did two years of work as a CE director, which is like cradle to grave education with a heavy youth ministry focus. And then Westminster, I did 10 years as a youth worker while going to seminary, uh, working full-time and seminary at the same time, and then three years as an associate for youth and media and contemporary worship, which made my business cards legal paper, um, <laughs> and then moved now. This is, we were just talking, uh, this is week three of a new job as a, and people are always like, are you the senior pastor? And I'm like, no, I am pastor. Like, th- there is <laughs> nothing to be senior of. It's just, here we are. Um, super small. So yeah, to Carl's point, it's a big culture shock I'm going through right this very moment. It's different. Uh, I have been vocationally employed by a church for the last 23 years. Give or take. 13. Give or take a few (laughs) minutes here and there. (laughs) Uh, 
was an intern for middle school, was a director of middle school, was a director of high school, director of high school, director of high school and middle school, uh, was ordained uh, as a solo pastor about a little less than 10 years ago, and then have had, I'm currently in my second stint as a parish associate, a part-time parish associate, which is just fancy Presbyterian talk for, because I'm ordained, I get titles. And can do ordained stuff. Uh, and then hot off the presses, hopefully tomorrow. Wait, what is today? Ooh. What is uh, not in two days? I like that we both I, sat up too. Ho- hopefully it, two weeks ago. <laughs> in two days, I think I'm signing a contract to become a temporary supply, which is, again, fancy Presbyterian for I'm just getting paid to preach, but I preach at Long the same place. Sir. Yeah, yeah, a long-term sub. Yes, it's the one who shows up for the pregnant teacher. Like, yeah. she's not coming. <laughs> yeah, back. I was that. I was that for a while. She's not coming back. Uh, you won't be here for a year. So this is also uh, on the download. This is also I can steal all of your ideas because I will be in the pulpit mm. uh, starting in a week, uh, getting opportunities to do that again. So, uh, I, and I'm a white man, so that's my pedigree. Oh yeah, we're all white men. If you haven't yeah. been able to figure that, if out that hasn't been painfully <laughs> obvious, bearded white men with varying levels. That's of hair what I mean. So I did hear the Animal Crossing episode. Uh, I mean, really, isn't isn't a podcast what you call a group of white men? <laughs> <laughs> I think I broke a podcast them. of white men. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's not going that's, anywhere. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> Uh, there we go. So, um, so yeah. So, thinking about what a Sunday morning looks like. I mean, I, I am curious about the other hours, but in terms of what you all go through in term, uh, when thinking about what you, uh, well, first, how do you judge what God's putting on your heart? And then mm-hmm. we'll start to walk down the process of how do you find ways of sharing that, and how do you intersect that with what the greater church is doing with the tools that have been given to you. So. Uh, I guess the first question is just a little reflective. What's going on? How do you figure out what's going on in your own life? There's 168 hours in a week. Yeah. Aren't huh. there? I didn't know that. Every week? <laughs> uh, except for except so. for every four Leap years. Week? Every four yeah. years. <laughs> Leap week. <laughs> you don't have Leap week? <laughs> we don't have yeah. that in the central time zone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> so again, this is timely because... Uh, uh, coming from an associate pastor, where I, I, I actually just wrote about this on my blog, jasonfryer.com, uh, <laughs> w- where <laughs> trying to kick off the old dust off the old blog. Um, but w- when preaching is so super episodic, um, you know, maybe once a month, maybe you know, maybe maybe twice, but usually just once. Um, it very much was just, what am I feeling right now? Uh, what what's what's going on in the cultural? world around me what am i noticing i might even have like a couple weeks to prepare for something um and and kind of pour into it i I think this is where tyler was i i a bunch of years ago turned to the lectionary the revised common lectionary um it's a series i don't even know how long it's been around like people don't pick it now it's just a cyclical thing that keeps coming 20 30 years revised common lectionary yeah Um, i think it's a three-year cycle yeah um, of scriptures for every Sunday, usually a psalm, an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a gospel lesson. So, so New Testament, non-gospel. And right, gospel. So one of the letters, uh, or Acts. Um, 
Or Revelation every once in a while. Or Revelation. Once Revelation. every three years. Yeah. <laughs> when we're really feeling like we want to throw pitcher, or preachers a curveball. So coming to the laboratory, what I did, I took some advice from my interim senior pastor at Westminster as I was leaving and pre-wrote a series uh, to come here. And so the first eight weeks that I'm here, I, <laughs> I had every intention of writing all the sermons ahead of time. I only made it through two, um, which is nice that I'm now two weeks ahead. Uh, so I'm writing uh, for two weeks out. Uh, all right, so let me, let me stop there for a quick second. When you say yeah. that you're writing your sermon, are you, are you jotting down all of the words that you're going to say? Are you outlining... Uh, I mean, what's what's that process look like for you? And and I ask because I didn't know that pastors wrote sermons, uh, partly because I grew up in a church where the pastors were fairly good oraticians, and they didn't have anything in front of them, so I didn't know. And my first gig outside of that church, I watched a pastor read his uh, like read a manuscript, uh, and I didn't know what that was. And I spent the entire service going, "What the heck's going on here?" Yeah. Mm. Like I can read. Like yeah. let's 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 do some stuff <laughs> just here. Just hand it to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you say that you write it, what are you what are you meaning? Let me interrupt just for a second to to put for the for the lay person who may not understand this. We are going to talk about outlines, which is could be a formal outline or just like notes on a page, yeah. and manuscripts. And a manuscript is a written out like verb like word for word. Like I'm writing a report and I'm turning that in. That's what Carl was talking about. So if every word of the sermon is written out, that's a manuscript other things are outlined, which is kind of loosely defined. Those are the words that I would use at least. And so I think that that's, that's helpful so that we can use those freely with people knowing what we're talking about. Yeah. So pre-seminary I did outline, um, and to the super, uh, casual end of what Tyler's saying, they're like just notes in an order of what I wanted to say. So like sometimes my outline will even say stuff like tell the story about the minivan. Um, and like that's it. That's all that's written down. And I will wing it from there. Particularly as a youth leader. Like, oh yeah. That's what, you just have a note of like, tell the lipstick story, <laughs> then talk about John two, uh-huh. and then praying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, it's just enough to keep me grounded because as longtime listeners of this podcast will know, we tend to go off on tangents. Um, but then in seminary, they were like, you have to preach. By the way, do you guys script. remember those like freezy pops <laughs> that you would stick in the freezer? <laughs> I hate you. Uh, <laughs> Seminary, they beat into our heads that manuscript was the way to go, that, that you had to read from a manuscript. And I, A, hated the process, and B, um, I, I I don't want to say dyslexia because that's like a formal diagnosable thing, but like I get lost in a manuscript when I'm up in front of people. I very quickly, the way it's spaced or whatever, can't find. So it turns into just reading a book report for the congregation, which has to mean no life to it, no um, no energy in it at all. The best system I ever had was at Westminster. They required a printed manuscript at the end of the week uh, to send to shut-ins and people like that. I don't have time for it now, but what I used to do is write the outline and then type up a manuscript but preach from the outline. Uh, and doing that was actually kind of cool because the manuscript, you would phrase certain sentences the way you wanted them and make them, you know, uh, kind of land. And I would put those back into the outline and say it this way instead of just 
tell the van story, like tell use this specific sentence because it sounded cool flowing into other stuff. Again, I don't have time for it now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the form of what I'm writing. Tyler, what about you? Well, I've had, uh, it's been interesting, uh, especially when uh, in the last four years going from preaching as an associate preaching um, once every, I mean, like six times a year, maybe, um, and doing, um, doing like weekly youth group. So that like the Bible study, I do a Bible study and a youth group. And those became kind of the, the times that I was doing sermons uh, effectively, uh, like being expository of the word, uh, in terms of once I started preaching every week, the system had to become very different because a lot of times when I uh, preach, uh, I would know like a month and a half out, I'm going to preach at this point. So I'd start thinking about it a month and a half out and it's a very different thing. So, um, I uh, used to do manuscripts when I first started, again, because seminary kind of tells you you're supposed to do that. <laughs> uh, and the thing that, about manuscripts is that it helps you with timing and focus. Uh, again, some <laughs> things that are helpful. Um, and it also helps with wording. So you get to say exactly w- the way you wanted to say something is a whole lot easier with a manuscript because you have more time to think about it. What I found, um, and this is half through talking to youth groups weekly, and then preaching like every other month um, is that when I was doing the sermon from the manuscript, I was preaching, I was telling them something from another time. Hmm. I was giving them a report of here's what happened. Here's what I thought on Tuesday or (laughs) Thursday or Friday night or whatever. Let's let's be honest. How many sermons were done on Tuesday? When I was doing manuscripts, it was like the Tuesday before. Like that's crazy. Not Tuesday. No, no, no. Not Tuesday. (laughs) Well, if I had been working on it like for a month, then maybe by right. the, like, that makes so, sense. Um, but it, it, it really, especially because the, the youth group meetings were so, there's so less stress about it. Like you're present in the room and you're responding to the people in the room. Um, and you are part of, even though it's a monologue, it still feels like a conversation. Uh, and a manuscript takes that away. So, what I found, so I, I quickly kind of got away from manuscripts and got more into notes. And part of that is that my, the, 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 the correlation that I had, uh, was the difference of if you go to a bookstore and there's a reading, an author is there to read from their book. That's what a manuscript feels like. Like it's fine, but you, they're not telling me, they're not talking to me. They're presenting something that's about them. Um, to me, preaching without a manuscript felt more like a stand-up comedian. Um, and I, I really think that that's an important, to me, that's, and I don't say that because uh, sermons are supposed to be about jokes or trying to be entertaining or funny, but there's something about a stand-up comedian where you can't do stand-up comedy without an audience. Um, like you can practice it, you can be a musician and never perform live. You can be an author and never see another person. Uh, you can write manuscripts and never have to think about the congregation, but you cannot do, you can't practice stand up without doing it in front of people. And as I started to, I would listen to a lot of podcasts of stand up comedy, and, and th- there's a book called Born Standing Up by Steve Martin, which is fantastic. It's, it's like a biography just about his time when he did stand up and he stopped doing stand up in the mid 70s. So it's like a really, really interesting book. Um, 
but to me, I really related to that because of the youth group is that I, I realized that my talks were very different because I, again, even though it was a monologue, it still felt like a conversation because I was responding to them and the way they reacted to the things that I said, I could tell either they don't understand what I'm talking about or they really get it. So let's, let's go down this road differently than we would have otherwise. And so I found that in terms of when the, the prep for sermons to me, um, has really, and, and especially producing them every week, um, it has to be more present for, for my process. Um, and so it's reading this, the text at the very beginning of the week, reading the scripture, uh, you, and I, I lean towards the lectionary again because uh, then I'm not just picking the ones that I want to do. I'm kind of fl- following a flow, and I'm in conversation with, with churches throughout the world. So we're all kind of talking about the same thing each week. Let me, let me uh, ask a quick clarifying question. Sure. How do you go about selecting? So if there are, four, if there are typically four passages— on any given day uh, of the lectionary, how do you go about picking? Because you're still, you still do get to choose yeah. your favorite. Yeah, you're just there choosing is, from a limited supply as opposed yeah. to the entire. When I realized that real easily is that there's always an easy one and there's always a hard <laughs> one. And I usually, at first, I would lean towards the easy one, and then I realized, no, I'm going to lean towards the hard one. And then I realized in preaching every week, I found it more advantageous to stick with a track. Mm-hmm. And I will usually, I usually preach on two texts to have them in conversation, which is something that I, uh, 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 Robert Messner, who was a, a, a professor at our seminary, really liked the idea of, he said how the, the New Testament and Old Testament are constantly in conversation, and they're both talking to each other. It's not just the New Testament knowing about the Old Testament. It's also, inform- our understanding of the Old Testament is informed by understanding the New and vice versa. And so I found that really intriguing. And so all, 95% of my sermons are Old Testament and New, and how can those two texts tell us something new? It's the peanut butter and chocolate. When you put them together, you can still taste both flavors, but it's a brand new kind of flavor. Uh, so I, I almost always will, will pick the gospel and the Old Testament lesson. Um, the interesting thing is that there's the mystery fifth text because the lectionary also has the narrative Old Testament. There's the, the topic old, topical Old Testament, which is always one picked to the 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 formers of the lectionary were like this leads the gospel lesson is actually about this and so they'll tell you something that's different and then there's a narrative uh, old testament that's like we're working through genesis for the next four months or something like that <laughs> uh and so i i am a little bouncy with which of the old testament texts that i'll that i'll use but i tend to stick with the gospel and then um the old testament and let those two kind of talk to each other jay have you figured out a pattern at this point, as to how to use the lectionary, I'm assuming based on what you've already said that you use lectionary as well. I I did for a while at Westminster. Uh, I'm oh, not, okay. Do, is your series like what's the theme? Is there a, a weekly theme? Like, how's your series formed? So th- it's and this I was thinking this while you were talking too. I mean, seminary gets a lot of things wrong about sermon writing, but a lot of things <laughs> right too. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's 100 percent true. Hold on. So I, I apologize for interrupting. Um, that's not there, that's un, not unusual for this podcast. There, Please interrupt. There, there are a handful of moments. Uh, I'm going to guess in Tyler's entire life that he has been legitimately angry and upset. Like there are things that probably push his buttons or frustrate him. Uh, you know, like when your shoes come untied or stuff like that. Uh, we had a seminary professor. Uh, oh. We only had a single uh, preaching professor, and um, no, he was married. <laughs> He was not well received by a reasonable portion of 
the uh, the student body at the time. And I'm not fully certain what the issue was, but we went through like a series of weeks where like Tyler, Tyler got to be yelling Tyler. Um, he wasn't as bad as we did have a classmate who went and like banged on this guy's office door and went on the other side of it was screaming uh, wow. to which the, the professor also screamed back. Uh, like it was a completely unhealthy situation. Uh, but, but relative to uh, things that have a, a, a deep place in our heart, uh, the fact that Tyler survived preaching in seminary, uh, let alone having the ability to articulate other seminary professors who gave him useful tools, uh, we're going to mark that as a win for Tyler. Uh, but I just had <laughs> just that goes in the way. Call. I never yeah. and and to put it to to clarify, uh, which Carl you did say this, but I never yelled at the guy, but I did go in and uh, I had some interesting conversations with him about his grading process. And every time I did, he reminded me, well, I went to Princeton, which I was like, <laughs> oh. that, that puts, <laughs> puts a, a good idea about kind of where this professor was. So I never, I never yelled at this professor. I, I encountered this professor and pushed back against this professor. But one of the biggest things, and, and I think this is important just in terms of the every single, and I maybe even mentioned this before, every single sermon that he gave, he would make himself cry. And that Ooh. to me is one of the most detestable thing, like manipulation of emotion. It's yeah. not, it's not like there are times in which sermons are, where it's appropriate yeah. to cry, but there are also times in which, um, you are using emotions to manipulate a group. And I, I, I find that gross and distasteful. And so I really didn't like this guy's preaching style and the fact that he was critical of, of our preaching style. Um, like I, I, I don't mind the criticism, I, I want the criticism. That's why I'm there in school. I want to learn. But when he had a style that I found so distasteful, uh, it was hard to take him seriously. I mean, on that subject, I never got like outrageously angry at my seminary professors or anything like that in the homiletics department. Uh, <laughs> but but the the they are very clear. And I, this is a problem with seminary education across the board. They professors are predominantly locked in academia and not in the rigors of weekly church life. Uh, so one of the when we first took the the one and only class on preaching is called homiletics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of the first days, one of the students asked, "How long should we spend every week writing our sermons?" And the professor said, "I don't know, twenty, thirty hours." And I, think, I yes. who who at yeah, the time big nuts for me big nuts <laughs> yeah I at the time who was working full time in a church looked at her and went no. Like, you just don't have that kind of time to commit to it. Yeah. So there's a big disconnect there. Um, I, I mean, I, I in my interview for this gig that I hopefully will be signing on, I jokingly said we were taught one minute, one hour for every minute you preach. Not even close. It, it is the rule of thumb. I was like, so if you, if you want, I mean, you're hiring me for like really short sermons and I'm not going to do anything else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jay, what are you, what are you preaching on? So I read a book in the in the kind of lead up to coming into being a solo pastor uh, by Jim Wallace. Is it Jim Wallace that wrote it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jim Wallace uh, fan. Yeah, yeah. It was called Christ in Crisis, um, and it's not surprisingly from Jim Wallace of Sojourner's Fame, a pretty political book about Trump and the age of Trump. Um, but the book was framed around these eight questions uh, that were either asked of Jesus or that Jesus asked to the people around him. Uh, and so I went in a very different direction than the book, but I was like, these are eight really good questions. Um, and, I, and I think 
for me, one of my professors at seminary uh, was Dr. Andrew Purvis, who's just awesome to me uh, and has a super high Christology. And that's critical to me too of, yeah, I want the, the Old Testament and the New Testament conversation. I'm with Tyler. I will almost always pick the gospel uh, because I want I want to talk about Jesus. Uh, so I wanted this first eight weeks to what really that, wait. Explain explain Christology to so, someone. Yeah, like who's Christ- not me. Christology. You never is paid esen- attention. It, it, it's essentially like all the Jesusy parts of Christian faith and the theological umbrella that they go into. Um, so like my Christology, I, I hate some of the language we've come up with for stuff like this, but like I have a very high Christology and essentially what I mean by that is I want to give Jesus credit for everything. <laughs> um, you know, like if I, it, 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 people misuse this, but almost like if I preach a good sermon, it's because Jesus let me preach a good sermon. If I have faith in Christ, it's because Jesus gave me the power to have faith in Christ. Um, and so like if there's a spectrum on that and, and it's, not to say that this is right or wrong or whatever, like different people will end on different ends of the spectrum of like, it's all what we do versus it's all what Jesus does. I'm just way closer to the, it's all what Jesus does side of the spectrum. Um, so knowing that I wanted to come out the gate at laboratory swinging with a lot of Jesus. So this question series kind of felt like, felt like the way to get in on that. So do you think when you are, a youth person, did you kind of work in series like that? Did you have like an eight-week series for students and then kind of pivot and shift? Or is yeah. this kind of a new approach for you? No, it was very much. So like in youth ministry, I would sit down in about, well, probably right about now, uh, in about August before the school year and map out the whole year of, you know, this you mean school month year? we're going to, yeah. Uh, this month we're going to do a series on, yeah, February was always sex month, right? Because it's Valentine's Day or whatever. Uh, March, we'll talk about, you know, reading the Bible and what the Bible means and how it, like, you know, so like every month had a different theme. Gotcha. Um, that I would run Do you through. imagine doing something similar to that? I, I could, except I don't know why this is true with sermons, but it, it really is, at least for me, I get stuck in ruts real fast. Um, and that I will come back to the same topics again and again and again and again. And that's, that's the biggest reason for me. I like the lectionary. I do like the, the churches and global conversation around it. One of my favorite times in life, Tyler, is when you were posting your, um, notes online on Facebook. Um, cause a lot of times we were preaching from the same thing. So I'd finish mm-hmm. preaching and then come on Facebook and look at what you did and be like, oh man, we did totally different things there. I do miss doing that. I haven't done that, uh, during the quarantine. Yeah. My, I, I like my, out, those notes. my outline don't fit in a single image. I don't know how you do it on <laughs> one page, you madman. Um, <laughs> but but I, I just need I need something to push me outside of the topics I would traditionally just keep falling back to. Um, and those are my favorite ones. When the lectionary kicks me a passage, well, when the lectionary kicks me five passages and I look at all of them and go, I don't know what to do with this. Those are my favorite sermons to write because uh, <laughs> it pushes me to like, Okay, I got to figure out what to do with this. Tyler, do you find that you have continuity as it, as the lectionary moves you from one week to another? Like, do you do you try and connect the dots between not just the passages on a particular Sunday, but from Sunday to Sunday? I've definitely found that more as I've gone through. I mean, I've now been doing the lectionary for almost four years because we took uh, about six months to do the story, mm-hmm. uh, which. Um, <laughs> It's another version of the lectionary. Yeah. Well, it's it's a 
it's basically telling you the meta narrative of scripture. So we read through that. It's it's a book. It takes the Bible and takes out all the verses and and chapter headings and stuff like that. And and it's edited. I mean, it's a anyway. We did that so that we could get kind of the larger swoop swoop of scripture in six months instead of three years. But I'm now at a point that I'm definitely regularly preaching each week on things that I have already preached on. So in year A, I already did year A. We're at the, we're concluding year A. We're towards the end of it. Uh, it, it's year A, year B, year C, three-year cycle. Um, and so I'm now at the point that there are um, things that I've been through again. And I've realized over that four years that I definitely connect them, uh, especially in Matthew. Like So this year we're, we're Matthew. Each year kind of has a specific gospel that it sticks with in the three-year cycle, even though there's only four. There's four gospels because John is, just gets stuck in Lent. Um, <laughs> every year it's always he's the Easter. You get some Advent. A little bit, yeah, but uh, but doesn't get his own year. John, the Gospel of John, doesn't get its own year. So this is the Matthew year, and the Matthew even more than others. Matthew and Luke, particular, but Matthew, it's uh, especially like the last month. Everything, every story needs to fit in the context of the stories before and after it, and it it's very different if you just pick it out mm-hmm. like a like a dictionary entry and just read it uh, versus knowing like so. This past week. It was um, Jesus asking his disciples, uh, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, they say, well, we think you're a prophet. People say you're a prophet and people say you're John the Baptist reincarnated. And uh, then Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And that makes sense on its own. We usually hear it on its own, but it's important to know that that came right after uh, Jesus feeding 4,000. Jesus, uh, like, response to the Canaanite woman who he said he wasn't going to help because she's a Canaanite. And then she's like, but you're supposed to help everybody. He's like, I know I am. I'm going to help you. I just want people to know that. And, and which came right after the feeding of the 5,000, which came right after the, right before the walking on water, right after the death of John the Baptist. Like this story is meant to be read as one story instead of just picked out in little chunks. And when we pick it out in little chunks, we can interpret it very differently. And so it's, um, Really, uh, I found that the sermons to me are more it, preaching every week gives you the benefit of being able to have serialized sermons in a sense and to really be referring back to it. It does. You don't have to cover as much ground in a single yeah. week. You're not saving. You're not saving it up to to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. The hard thing about that is that it does imply that people were paying attention every week or were there every week. <laughs> And so I, I do try to do a little bit, like a minute or two of recap of like, here's where we are. Almost like the beginning of the old Batman show is like, mm-hmm. here's what the Riddler's doing. Yeah. And that's where the, yeah. Yeah. Previously in Tyler's sermon. <laughs> yep. Do you, uh, did you ever have, did you do the serious thing like Jay was talking about where you would, as a youth leader that you'd have a month of a theme or were you just kind of hit or miss or would you no. go straight through with something else or? We, I, I, so the main teaching that we did was largely bible studies okay uh, um because the the youth groups on sunday was i so when the church in north carolina which had a pretty good youth group pretty good sized youth group we would get 30 on a sunday night and we would get like 50 on a wednesday for our bible study and the bible study we would go eat fast food and then we'd come back and do an hour-long bible study and the traditional youth group of like 45 minutes of games and 45 minutes of, of talk or 30, 40, an hour game and 30 minute talk, like not as many people came to that one. And so that one was a little more topical, but the, 
the Bible studies, what I did to challenge myself was pick a book and like, we're going to go through this chapter by chapter. And we did Genesis at first, which was a great idea for five chapters. (laughs) Yeah. You encounter (laughs) circumcision and Lot's daughters and all of this terrible stuff that, and, and my whole goal being like brash and 28 year old, like I'm going to teach these kids the Bible. Like, is that I want us to read every chapter because if I skip stuff, I'm either telling you that stuff's not important or if you go and look at it and realize it's talking about rape or incest or like terrible things that I am telling you, we as a church don't ha- don't want to talk about these things. Um, and I, if it's in the Bible, it's worth considering. Like that was basically what I wanted them to know. So the series that I did were for this year, we're going to do Romans. For this year, which was way harder than doing a narrative <laughs> book, but so we did. And three years I did that. We did Genesis one year, which was really good and really difficult, but really helpful for me in terms of seeing that larger narrative thread. And then we did Romans, which was really tricky, and we only got halfway through because they were doing that. Like the head pastor was doing that also in the church, so I thought we'd do that as, as youth group. But then we also did Luke, and Luke was really helpful to do that that gospel narrative that way. But so I picked it effectively to answer your question. Yes, I did series, but the series were a book of the Bible. Um, and that directly influenced when I started preaching on a regular basis that I, I found that that was really helpful for the kids to understand. And then these kids became incredibly knowledgeable about the book of Genesis. Like it really, if you go through the book of Genesis once really intensely for a, a nine month period, you have a pretty good understanding of Genesis. I mean, it's not like, you know, it all, but a lot better than going through the Bible, the do Genesis with nine months for nine months with a high school group helped me understand Genesis better than 28 years of growing up in the church where you only learn the 10 stories that are in Genesis and then you don't really know how they fit together. So, so let me ask a question about that then, because I think that's a fascinating spot to be on as pastors mm-hmm. who want to have, or I'm assuming you want to have mostly biblically literate congregations Mm-hmm. Or people that are equipped to explore and and ask questions and figure things out. What what do you see the role of your sermon as in the greater function of the church? Thinking about your church specifically, but like, what role does your sermon play in the rest of what things look like for your community? Yeah, that's so. In that sense, I this is where kind of me having my previous. Uh, job being a teacher really comes into play, especially a history teacher, is that I think that I see my job as teacher to help, but teacher in terms of uh, a teacher who equips you with access to knowledge rather than let me give you the knowledge that I have. Um, And I think that's a very different kind of sway. And so making the Bible accessible, but also making it okay to have questions and to wonder and to say this doesn't really make any sense but we're st- we're not just going to skip the stuff that doesn't make any sense so uh to me i view the sermon time more as an opportunity to help us to better under become more familiar with this this story of god um and less about the um uh, like sitcom style wrapped up in 20 minutes where you know everything is perfect at the end and we come fresh every week with no new problems kind of situation, like chicken soup for the soul sermons. Not to be yeah. overly critical of those, but I think it's definitely not a uh, a packaged. And and I found that, that in now that I'm going cycling back through the year of having preached 
consistently on these sermons. I can't go back to those old outlines and sermons and just preach that because it was, it's a different, Mm -hmm. it's a different context. Even though I'm with the same people, there's different things going on. Um, I can look back on that and be like, huh, that's what I thought this was saying at that point. Or, and not necessarily that's what I thought this was saying, but that's what the, the scripture, that's what the text was saying to us at that point. And now it's saying not something inherently different, but it's, it's, illuminating itself in a different way. It's like a diamond. If you hold it in a slightly different way, you, it shines differently. The diamond is still the same, but it, it's reflecting a little bit differently. And, and that has been really exciting that it's not like I get three years worth of sermons and I just kind of cycle through them. So Jay, as somebody, as somebody at, at the threshold of starting that part of the journey, how do you imagine your sermons fitting into how you will ultimately cultivate your ministry there at laboratory? Yeah, I, I think... You know, I, I was thinking about this a couple points along the way, too. I think there's something vastly different between a Bible study and a sermon. Um, and I, I'm trying to put language to it. I think the sermon is, I'm, I'm insisting on something. Um, uh, you know, the word proclamation comes around, but, like, I am trying to insist that something is true. Uh, all, a lot of times, all evidence to the contrary. Um, generosity is a better way to live than selfishness all evidence to the contrary in our culture, right? Like in a, in a me first culture, that's a bold thing to stand up and say. Um, I think what's critical to that is you have to be able to, to explore the scripture to get to that insistence. Um, like I can't just stand up and say, here's what Jay thinks. Like it, it, that's terrible. <laughs> um, so there is educational pieces to it. Like almost every scripture, every, every sermon I start with, uh, the heading of my outline is deep dive. And it's like, okay, let's unpack this scripture as deeply as we can, not so that you can know it in a sort of academic sense, but like these are all the reasons why what I'm about to say is true. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm going to take it from there and say, okay, here's what I think this scripture is pointing us to and why, by the way, every week I keep coming to you with a new uh, insistence of something that's relevant for today is because this book is still relevant for all time. Uh, This this book has something to say constantly. Do either of you have guardrails uh, that prevent um, the the fancy seminary word that we were taught as eisegesis, you bringing your own opinions? Mm. Um, Do you have Mm. guardrails that help prevent you from making it about, this is what Jay says, like, I agree with the message that generosity is is the healthier way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's possible that uh, while you can get there from scripture, it's also possible that that's just what you're bringing, um, yeah. that there are good secularists that would hold that opinion regardless of what scripture said. Um, and there, there are f- people who are faithful church folk who hold bad opinions that bring those bad opinions uh, to what, to what and how they preach. So I'm just curious if you all have guardrails to kind of check uh, Tyler and Jay at the door as you as you figure out what you need to insist on every week, even if it's something that might might require your wrestling with something deeper, I think a couple of guardrails for me at least. I'll try to be quick. Is one the lectionary itself is a guardrail um, because again I didn't pick these texts; they're they're what were handed to me, and I've got to make something of them. Um, two, and it's fun, you know, being in a new call in a new position and resetting a boundary and a rhythm Monday, I won't let myself write anything. Monday is straight research day. Um, read the Bible, read the, you know, I, again, seminary professors suggest like translate the whole thing, 
no, no one has time for that. <laughs> but go find the important words, right? If this word seems weird, I'm going to go dig it up in Greek and Hebrew and try and see why this weird word's popping out all of a sudden. But like Monday, I won't let myself put any pen to paper. Um, it's just read, think, and then let it marinate for a day or two. But the biggest one, the biggest guardrail for me is this thing Ed and I came across when we were preaching at Westminster was the best sermons are the ones where I am insisting something to myself. Mm. Mm. It is one thing to make a proclamation that like, I believe this, so let me tell you how you ought to believe. That's one thing. It's another thing when I am feeling really selfish mm. and boldly proclaiming that generosity is a better way. Um, mm. My sermon should be as challenging to me as it is to anybody else in the congregation. And and I you in the writing process somewhere along the way I know when I'm not doing that, mm. and that's when it's kind of like okay back up a bit try something different because um, you're just you're getting a little self righteous on this. Yeah, I echo that a lot. I think that I go into the process less about how do I turn this into a sermon and more about what is this saying what 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 is this convicting me of or or asking me to do. Uh, and in that sense, it is, uh, um, it's, it's proclamation in that way. And, and I've, I've realized kind of the, the setup that I've had, um, the, the system that I've fallen into is the beginning of the sermon is talk about kind of dig into what the, what the story of the scripture was, what the scripture was, um, and kind of help us to understand it as in a real sense. Like if this, this really happened, these are real people, um, and demystifying it to to understand it as real. And then an example uh, from kind of today that that in some ways usually feels out of out of the blue and then connecting it at the end in a so now what should we do about it? Like what is this passage telling us to do? And a lot of that comes from what is this passage telling me to do? And not here's everyone should do what Tyler should do about this, but how is this passage, all of these things should be encouraging us to live our lives differently or to do something like the whole framework of, uh, reformed worship is that we, it's centered around the word and that we gather around the word. We listen to the word and then we respond to the word and then we are sent out by the word. And the whole idea is that now having heard our challenge for the week, how are we going to go and do things differently than we would have otherwise? And so that's the, to me, the rail is that not what do I want people to believe that I also believe, but what am I feeling challenged by in my own life that I think is relatable to other, what are we as a culture being challenged by? And, and especially what is Jesus saying? Not how do we get that to fit into the way we're living our lives to justify what we're already doing? But how does that challenge what our typical, what, if I hadn't heard this or read this this week, I would live my life in this specific way. Yeah. Having read this, does that change what I do with my life this week? And if it does, then that's the challenge that I think it has for all of us. Yeah. I, I and it's fun now. Cause again, I'm, I'm living into preaching every week and realizing that I have like five stories and illustrations that get <laughs> used up real fast. Um, but one of the things Ed and I figured out to figure out whether or not a sermon was successful uh, was after we write it or even a little bit like in the process, we should be able to answer the questions. What do you want them to know and what do you want them to do? <laughs> yep. um, 
and for me, a judge of whether a sermon was successful or not is what people say to me after church. If I, if I can hear either of those sentences sort of kind of repeated back to me, then I landed. If I don't, then I, I miss something. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a fantastic question in and of itself is what's, what's the best, worst, weirdest response to a message that you've ever given? Uh, I mean, just, just the idea that, oh, I didn't even know that that had the possibility of being what landed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think is quite curious, but I mean that's that's a great metric to understand. Are you able to translate how the spirit's moving in you to helping move in the community? I mean that, that seems ultimately like one of the the priorities of a pastor. The teaching analogy worked in like when 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 doing teaching and writing lessons plans. Kind of the way they teach you is start with this question. At the end of this lesson, the students will be able to blank. And it's always a real thing. It's not like we'll be able to know history better. Like it, it's, yeah. it's, or I mean, it could be we'll be able to understand the the causes behind the War of eighteen twelve. Like it could be knowledge, but it's definitive that if you ask them the question at the end of this, they could give you the response, the the desired response, or something like that. And so, looking at every sermon as the students, the the congregation will be able to, or will will be able to respond in this way, kind of like you were saying. Or, or even the the extra will have experienced. Yes. Like I think yes. that I think that's a reasonable thing for part of the differentiation of what happens in worship is where they're what they're present to during that time. But I, I mean, yep. again, that's that's a really good metric. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's counterintuitive. The the best and worst responses. The worst responses are, and I got this a lot at Westminster when I'd come up and preach at the traditional services. Um, um, like almost the, hey, when you speak, complete sentences come out of your mouth, and we're really proud of that. Um, you know, like that, the, the you, good you, job. You, you went over this bar that was sitting on the ground. Yeah. The, the kind of like, good job, you're really talented up there. That was entertaining. Like that drives me crazy. Those are the worst things to say. The best is when someone comes up to me after a service with fire in their eyes, totally disagreeing with everything I just said. Because they listened. That's, Cause that's yeah. awesome. Uh, <laughs> and, and like I will have that over and, and I will go home happy as a clam uh, over those debates that come after worship because there's engagement with it. Like there, uh, uh, even if it never resolves, even if they drastically disagree with me, fantastic. We, we engaged with something. Um, and I think that's huge. Okay. So, so curious question as we're getting close to, to what I have in terms of time with you guys now. What are you talking about this coming week, and how does that intersect with the world that we're living in this week? <laughs> I, I the question for this week, uh, which will be old by the time you hear it, but the question for this week is why are we afraid? Um, it's hmm. the it's the story of Jesus. So not relevant. Not at all relevant. Um, hard, to, hard to make that one apply. It, it, it's Jesus in the boat and. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, he calms the waves in the storm and, and the disciples say, or, or Jesus says to the disciples, why were you so afraid? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's interesting because the sermon, the way it's going right now is our culture wants to answer a different question. We mm-hmm. want to answer what we're afraid of. We want to yeah. answer what we do to fear, uh, how we overcome fear. Like we, we have different questions we want to ask. That's not what Jesus is asking is, what is it in this moment in your soul that hmm. makes you afraid? Um, and he gives you the answer right after. The, the next question is, do you still not have faith? Um, that's, that's it. Is this If you don't have enough faith, 
in a God that can control the wind and the waves, you are going to experience fear. It doesn't say whether that's good or bad. It's just that's the those are the connections of why are you afraid? Because you don't have faith yet. Um, so again, cultural moment, global pandemic, election year, racial tensions. There's lots to be afraid of. <laughs> um, but I think a deeper question is why? Why are these things causing us so much fear? And, and what's at the heart of that? So that's where I'm at this week. What about you, Tyler? Lectionary passage for this week is it's following up from from Peter declaring Christ, and it's right after that um, Jesus tells them about how he is going to be arrested and and killed, and Peter's response is, "I'm never going to let that happen," <laughs> and uh, and and uh, Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan! Like, shut up, idiot! Like that um, that that's paraphrasing uh, the it's but the just message. the sense of." Of, of saying like don't you you totally don't get it like that um where you go from last week peter being celebrated for understanding who jesus is and then this week peter completely missing who jesus is and what this this thing and what and how the response that jesus wants us to have so um the question and and i think that the, sometimes it's hard that the, the lectionary is so relevant to what we're talking about so consistently each week that i feel like i don't want things to seem overly political or overly um i don't know like that that they are uh it, i mean overly political i think it gets it to quote uh, but they are to quote that, arrested I mean, development Jesus, i gotta get political political i gotta get <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh and that and that I, I think that that it's i i used to kind of be like shy away from that but it just became so clear that the like that this is talking to us right now and when there are voices that are that are especially that are claiming a christian voice and are saying the exact opposite of what jesus is saying and, and what the what the lessons are kind of t- telling us here uh, and this is a good one of like we go from last week jesus saying i know who you are you're this and jesus saying you got it and then this saying saying so here's how you want me to respond like that <laughs> and that when our response that knowing jesus and responding to jesus are not the same thing and our response should mirror our understanding of who Jesus is. And if it doesn't, then we don't really know who Jesus is. And it kind of gets to that fear. Like if we know that the God of all universe is in the boat with us, then even though we're in this scary situation, we shouldn't ultimately be afraid. Right. If we know that God is is the son of God, the Messiah, the rescuer who's here to save us and is here to, to love and to heal and to forgive everyone, then our response shouldn't be, and I'm going to kill anyone who gets in the way like that, that, um, that response is out of place. And it, so the question that I have, and again, this is we're on Wednesday, so there's still some time to, to work with this. And how do I not just make it seem they're wrong and we're right? Like that, that is also not the, not the response <laughs> on either, either end. To be militantly sure of one side or the other is not the response to this. So it could easily, I think we have a problem right now of responding to those we disagree with by saying they're so wrong, I'm so right which is what both sides are saying. And so how, where, what does Jesus have to say in that situation where Jesus does have a clear, this is wrong and this is right. But then how do we love into people with that? Love it. Blah, blah, gross. How do we <laughs> respond to people? Nope. That's on tape. That, that, you can't edit that yeah. out. I will be mad at you I, if, if that line doesn't show up. Connections with the editor. Um, <laughs> how do we help people respond 
to what Jesus is saying in a real world situation where we are so polarized and, and there are so many people who are, who are proclaiming to be the truth and particularly voices within the church who are proclaiming that this is the, this is the only correct response that Christians can have in this scenario. So what, what is that? And how do I not become another voice of that, of saying, if you're really a Christian, this is the way you're going to respond. So, Gentlemen, you guys are doing some fantastic work here. I feel I feel guilty keeping you. I mean, it's past Monday, so it's time for pen to pad. It's time for fingers to keys. It's time for I'm a week ahead, so I'm good. The spirit to do the work. You're never a week ahead as a pastor. Come on, rookie. I am now. <laughs> I mean, give me like another week, and it's probably going to end. You know, but I'm just waiting for you guys to post this so I can be the uh, the lectionary a couple weeks behind, uh, just preaching whatever you guys said. <laughs> That's that's not a bad strategy. That's that's solid. I still have so many more questions, but unfortunately, there's not enough time on the clock. Oh, we'll have to have a part two of this. Yes. Uh, what's a good Twitter question? I mean, I I think there's a fascinating question. In what's what's the most memorable sermon you ever heard? Uh, just from a vantage point of, I'm not sure what I heard last Sunday, and that's a couple of days ago. So anything that finds its way to burrow in somebody's conscience. Uh, is certainly a fascinating message. Um, I think the the more uh, the more pressing question is, what do you find that resonates with you these days? Uh, because as pastors, being able to speak to what where people are listening is a is a gift that you all both bring. Amen to that. Anything anything to plug for either of you this week? Uh, JasonFryer.com. Yeah, JasonFryer.com. Get on the blog. <laughs> the blog is back dusting off the blog it's been reactivated yeah that'll last for approximately also... three weeks and then i will go on another five month vacation that's usually how the blog nice. works yeah that's the kind of contract that i need to get into yeah it's lovely <laughs> i have something to plug i would highly recommend that you all watch the uh hbo max show uh, lovecraft Con- country is that good oh boy yeah it's so good it's uh it's crazy it's so if you watched watchmen which you should watch watchmen uh it has a lot to do with um uh race and things like that and all kinds of stuff so uh it's just yeah i highly recommend you watch it and um enjoy it it's it's really great it's got monsters in it and produced by jordan peele co-produced by jordan peele and jj abrams i know you don't like the abrams but i uh, no i love the abrams Oh, I'm yeah. pro Abrams. Okay, so there for the Abrams. There and, you go. And uh, and also there for the Jordan Peele. It's great. It's fantastic. Great music. Great everything. Well, really well done. And there's a podcast, a companion podcast, and it's it's pretty pretty great. Um, yeah. So go do that. Thank you, Carl, very much for being here. Um, don't don't worry about no. Don't don't get up. Uh, you just be quiet quietly. Except your yeah. That's good. Just make it a quiet, Carl, quiet exit. A great host. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, don't cry just accept the praise you're, you're fine man I, I love you Carl you're wonderful thank you for being here <laughs> alright well I've been Tyler I've been Jay I'm a Carl and, and this, this has been, been Rubbing, rubbing the, the Pastor Toodaloo have a wonderful week everybody uh, see ya we got some sermons to write yeah bye <laughs> <laughs>